Hi, it's Chelsea. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to remind our listeners that Quiet Connection is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support our mission to spread awareness about postpartum mental health and help us continue making content, please consider joining our Patreon account, where you can expect things like ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and goodies in the mail once a month. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Sandy Wood, a certified nurse midwife and a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. She discusses how postpartum mental health care has evolved in the state of Vermont as well as the country. I also got her thoughts on the new FDA-approved treatments exclusively for postpartum depression. Let's hear from Sandy. Hello! Today I am here with Sandra Wood, or Sandy Wood, whichever you would like to go by. How are you today? Good. Sandy is fine. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? So, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Long story. Um, so, I started out my career as a certified nurse midwife at the University of Vermont Medical Center. And then um, around 2007, I went back to school to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And from there, I transitioned over to just doing what it, perinatal mental health, essentially. I also have worked for the state in a number of capacities, mostly around perinatal mental health. And I also see clients at UVM Medical Center in pregnancy postpartum for mental health challenges, medication management, ooh, all kinds of different things. I don't really do therapy. I do a little bit of supportive therapy around certain issues like traumatic birth and pregnancy loss. So I do a little smattering of those things. I've also done some um, group stuff over the years. I'm not currently doing that, but so sort of many things, anything that involves perinatal health, outpatient perinatal health, I have been involved in <laughs> through the years. Um, also, I was also um, the psychiatric, perinatal psychiatric consultant for the state for a while, just in terms of um, advising providers who are prescribing for pregnant, preconceptual pregnant or um, postpartum people, you know, the, all the medication questions that come up in that time frame. So that was one of my roles as well. Um, that's now been taken over by Dr. Sarah Guth, who's a perinatal psychiatrist that I work with, but I've also done that over time. You've had you've had many different roles in the perinatal and postpartum world. Yes, yeah. What was it that made you initially decide to pursue like postpartum psychiatric care? So, as a nurse midwife, I got to the point in my career where I didn't want to be on call 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> but I still wanted to contain, you know, continue that connection with um, you know, families with pregnant people and, and postpartum people. And also, um, one of the things that really actually kept me going in this is when I went, when I went back to, um, school to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner, cause you know, I saw that sort of as a day job. Um, yeah. I worked with males for the first time in my life through the VA. I did my clinical, my experiences at the veterans administration hospital. And I was connected up with a lot of veterans that suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, and I could see the impact on people's lives 
um, over the years. So that became a very interesting piece to me because of having been at birth, and certainly birth is kind of one of those big, big experiences in a person's life. So that became one of my, something that I was really interested in and, and focused a lot on. And it all gets wrapped it up into just taking care of people postpartum, no matter what, because if they're struggling or just generally, I mean, I think having a, a kiddo is like hard work at baseline and you yeah. any mental health challenges to that, that just um, heightens the, the challenges. So, um, so yeah, so it was, it was partly that like, wow, this is really important that I want to participate, you know, be part of people's lives. Um, also, I think as a nurse midwife, there's, you know, kind of um, therapeutic use of self. And I wanted to continue doing that. Mm -hmm. um, this was just a perfect way to do it. And I had lots of support. I mean, it, it's it's one of those jobs that over time in Vermont, things have really changed. Like, as I'm thinking about in 2000, so I went back to school in 2007. In 2013, the state of Vermont made a working group. Um, they had started a home visiting program, the Nurse Family Partnership. I think it's called a bunch of different things now. But that would had some standardized screening incorporated in it. And they were finding out that about 50% of their their clients were screening at risk for depression. Um, so that kind of got Vermont, you know, oh dear, we have to do something about that. And that's where I joined in on the, the kind of the working group to figure out what are we going to do about this in Vermont. And then in the next year, there was a strategic plan that was developed in Vermont to um, make it a priority to educate people about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I think it was probably just, just beginning to be called perinatal mood and anxiety disorders at that point. And one of the things, so I also was a person that was going on teaching, like teaching providers and the home visitors I was teaching. I was teaching all kinds of different people about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and um, sort of emotional complications of pregnancy. And what I found was there were so many pregnant people and postpartum people that they were stopping their medicines when they already had a pre-existing psychiatric diagnosis or they weren't, no one was starting them on medicines or they were changing them from a really good medication regimen to Zoloft because Zoloft is safe in pregnancy and postpartum. Um, I found that to be a huge thing. And that's actually at the point where I became sort of a consultant to prescribing providers to help stop that. And where I heard that the most was like the home visitors, because they're not the prescribing people and they're not, you know, they're not the OBs, they're not the family medicine people. But the home visitors would have these clients that, you know, my doctor told me to stop, you know, my midwife told me to stop all these medicines and they did. And then they were really struggling. So that's where the consultation piece came in. Yeah. Um, it became a formal thing. So, you know, there was, there was a website, phone number and everything that people could call. And then I would go around sort of educating people about that. I did some grand rounds at different hospitals um, so that the providers would be educated, the family medicine providers, the internal you know, OB providers would be educated and know to reach out. And also, since I was a nurse midwife, we in, at UVM Medical Center, we trained a lot of midwives. Mm. So they came to us for their clinical um, training. So I know, I mean, I knew a lot of midwives in the state. So that was really helpful to that people knew to connect up with me for these kind of questions. And also in the midst of that, I myself was like learning, 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 attending anything that I could attend all the Yeah, I was 
Or- I was just gonna say, like it it was kind of like a divine timing thing. Like you were you were stepping into this role while also like deciding like this is what you were passionate about too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. It was just that it was sort of all these things were coming together. And then even just staying at UVM Medical Center in this role, there wasn't, you know, a job there. Mm. So the Lindelac Foundation was actually had been supporting the nurse midwife service over the years. And they supported me in my initial, I was doing some mindful motherhood groups and doing some other, um, you know, group things. Um, support groups. And so that was the initial support for me to do that. And then, you know, then UVM Medical Center saw the value of this. And then the state um, began to get funds. Um, They ended up with the STAMP grant, which is this, um, you know, screening and treatment access for mothers and perinatal partners, which is, which was a federal, I think it's not really a grant, it's a collaborative agreement. So funding came in through that, which supported me from a different angle for screening at UVM Medical Center. So it's like all these things came came from all different angles to support me being where I am. So it was so cool. It was uh, quite, quite the timing was perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we had spoken a few times prior to recording and correct me if I'm wrong, but did you, were you also involved in the Vermont chapter of Postpartum Support International? Yes, there were several of us that started the chapter. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, it's having a little bit of a silent time right now, just because everybody's kind of busy. I think during COVID, people just got, you know, stretched thin. Yeah. Um, I also <laughs> overdid my, you're, you're allowed to be, you know, a treasurer or something for two years. And I, I passed my, like, there's no one to pass the baton to. So <laughs> that is, yes. So that was our, that we had, and we started that before a lot of this stuff came together, there's so many more things and connections and there's in the different counties, some of them have actually perinatal mental health coalitions Mm -hmm. putting together a lot of um, things. So what we had envisioned for the postpartum support in Nashville was a little bit different. It's like connecting up Vermont, but it sort of all started to happen sort of organically in all the different counties. So not as much, we didn't get as far as we'd like to, but it's, it's hovering there waiting to be I know I I keep like I keep looking into it and I want to really like I want to connect with more members or former members Mm -hmm. of of it because um what I keep hearing from the birthing people and families that I'm talking to is that they're not aware of the resources that are there and so it's really it's so cool to see you get so passionate about all of these like resources that you helped and all of these trainings that you were able to facilitate. But like, I don't think that that we realize what we have access to. Mm-hmm. I know for me personally, when I was in the thick of it, like I, I didn't know where to turn. I had no idea where to turn. So it's, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast because we can talk about this a little bit more and we can mm-hmm. sort of, I'm, I'm, I have so many questions. <laughs> So from when you started to where you are now, how do you think the state of maternal mental health and the resources available to parents has sort of evolved? So I think it continues to be that there are resources out there and in each county is a little different. So some, you know, like some of them, like I said, have a perinatal coalition and they've got a bunch of different programs. Um, 
that, but it still continues to be, I mean, even as a person who delves into this, I still find things in my own county in Chittenden County that I didn't know existed, like mm. groups or, um, you know, gather, you know, connections from, you know, pregnant people or postpartum or families or dads or, so there continues to be lack of awareness of all these different resources that there are. And it, those are hard to keep track of too, because you do need somebody that's like checking, is this still a group that's running? Is this still a connection that's running? Um, so that takes a lot of time and energy, but it, there is always more than you realize. Things have improved a lot in Vermont, just in terms of things like doula cares becoming more popular but you'll find that it it can, tends to be in different counties that uh, uh, have maybe those perinatal coalitions, or they already have a really established, strong network of um, you know paying attention, like home visiting and being aware of this problem. So they tend to have strengthened what they've got, added more programs, paying attention more to like how many people are struggling, screening, following up on referrals and stuff. So I think we're still we still have a problem with maybe more the remote communities that don't have parent-child center, or maybe it's not a robust one. So that's that there's still more to be done, still more mm. to be done. Yeah. But there is so much more attention. There's actually now, and I'm, I'm not part of it, so I'm going to call, I'm not, I'm not even sure of the right name. It's, um, there's a big new coalition on the well-being of pregnant and postpartum people. It includes medical stuff because that's another, oh. you know, that's another piece of, um, you know, we're seeing more hypertension and mm. things that, and, you know, not stopping at the postpartum period, but making sure that um, pregnant people are well into their life. So they're, they're well for their kiddos, but it also includes a big portion of uh, mental health as well. So this is a big new task force in Vermont that's really looking at this and going out and about teaching. So they're doing, you know, they're doing things about the hypertension and the, and, and they're also, there's a mental health component to it. And that's in process. There's a group that has some specific bundles. It's called a bundle for maternal mental health. So it includes like educating everybody in a system, screening everybody in a system. What's the follow up? You know, what's the, how do you, you know, get everybody into care? So that, that's going to be brought to, I think, different hospitals, different uh, places that are catching babies. And, you know, (laughs) so um, there, it's a big piece of the maternal mental health or, and, you know, of course that's going to change. The name's going to change right now. It's maternal mental health, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, focusing on families and pregnant and postpartum people. I think that that's so interesting and so needed. Another thing that a lot of our guests have expressed is that the screening process, it has been the same. It's like tale as old as time. Like we have some, some birthing people who have grown kids and some birthing people who have just itty bitty babies. And we all remember taking the same questionnaire at our like six week postpartum visit. And then that was kind of the end of it. So like we talk a lot about how medically baby gets seen Mm -hmm. so frequently and is checked on um, like first every two weeks and then every two months. And mom kind of goes in for her six week postpartum appointment. Mm -hmm. And if you don't hit a certain amount of boxes on that questionnaire that we've all seen, Mm -hmm. then you're kind of like sent on your merry way. And you're like, but, but wait a minute, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not okay. (laughs) So what it sounds like is that there's going to be a shift maybe in how that's approached. Yeah, I think it's it's even already started. 
um, because now I actually get postmodern people who complain like, oh, I've done that questionnaire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got it at my pediatrician and, you know, um, and also, so the other thing that's happening is the national organizations are changing their approach a bit. Okay. Um, there's a bunch of national stuff also that's really kind of, you know, trickling down. So the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is ACOG, they now they have actually made it um, what they call a comprehensive postpartum visit. So it's not that six week visit and you're gone. Mm. They actually recommend connecting up with a birthing person at like two to three weeks postpartum and then have some sort of a comprehensive visit between like six, eight, 12 weeks postpartum um, that you're doing contraception and the medical stuff. And like, have you got a primary care Go, You know, you need your blood pressure check. And also how are you doing, you know, how is it being a parent, how, you know, mental health piece. So even the national organizations have changed their guidelines and you can even see the screening guidelines have, uh, are changing the United States. What is it? UPS. Uh, they have, um, they're the kind of one of the guidelines for how, when you should screen and if you should screen people. And a few years ago, they added depression, and then they included pregnant people in postpartum. Mm. And then just recently, they actually included screening for anxiety and depression. Oh wow! And they also suggest that it's done be done multiple times. So for just general people, it's like you know a new patient, and maybe once a year for. And they also have a suggestion of for pregnant and postpartum people to do it more frequently. Oh, that's so good. Um, It's really coming from every angle. And there's, you know, there's just so many wonderful maternal, there's a maternal mental health alliance. They do a lot of political stuff. There's a big program out in California that's kind of, you know, being an example of how to get screening and management and all the things that can help, um, you know, postpartum mental health or pregnancy and postpartum mental health. So it's really coming from so many angles and funding the stamp grant that we had from the, it was the maternal depression and related behavioral disorders grant. Um, so that is ending like the end of September that was, mm-hmm. you know, supported Vermont. They actually have another one that the funding is, so there people apply, you know, everybody's applied for the States have applied for funding. We'll, we'll find out again. So, you know, fingers crossed that Vermont will get the funding again. Yeah. Um, starting in October to support all these continue supporting all these programs that they have sort of put into place. Do you find that on a local level? So like, I, I love hearing that this is getting more attention on a national level too. I think it probably needs a much bigger spotlight, but mental health in general needs a much bigger spotlight. And we're sort of seeing like the infancy of, of that right now. But do you feel like locally in Vermont, a lot of the resources are sort of in terms of support groups and whatnot, that they're being led by, by like parents or are they be, are you finding that like mental health professionals are starting these organizations? I think the sort of the general support groups or connection groups are mostly led by peers. Um, okay. Yeah. I think group stuff tends to be maybe more in the context of some intensive outpatient or something like mm-hmm. led by professionals. Um, and I'm not, I don't see too much of that in the perinatal space. Yeah. You know, the thing that I am seeing is for instance, the providers that do, um, childbirth education or doula groups of doulas that have gotten together, you know, have a doula collaborative or cooperative 
they are often offering, so maybe that's not exactly peer-led, but it's getting people together. They're offering ways for perinatal people to get together, not just for the childbirth education, but let's, you know, let's meet other parents. So that's probably where a lot are happening. Because I know a couple of the doulas are doing kind of get-togethers and they do, and I know in Washington County, the they have a, a free doula program for anybody who's given birth that oh wow doulas supply kind of that typical doula you know support <laughs> come in your house and support but they're also really provide i mean underlying it they're really providing mental health support and well i was going to i was going to ask so for listeners who may not be familiar with what a doula is could you sort of cuz a doula is different than a midwife mm-hmm. and there there's there's confusion on that sometimes. Can you explain what a doula is? So um, a doula is generally a person that's trained. And you often think of it as somebody who does labor support. But essentially, and you can get different versions of doulas. You can have a doula that's just there at labor, like UVM Medical Center has volunteer doulas that are just there for labor support. So they know the ins and outs of birth. They know how to support you. They know how to help your partner, you know, help support you and navigate, you know, make sure that your par- the partners have not gotten dehydrated and overwhelmed <laughs> and, um, and they can suggest comfort measures and help, you know, parents decide if there's something going on that there, you know, some complications going on in the labor and the, and the medical staff is saying, well, we think you should do this or that. Um, so it can be very labor focused. But you can you can also have a doula that is um, a couple prenatal visits. So let's talk about what you're hoping for for your birth. What's um, what's your expectations? Where do you think you need support? How can you know? How can I help you in your in your birth? And then generally, if you sort of have a full, I guess it would be called a full scope doula. You <laughs> you would have somebody you know some prenatal visits, support during labor, and then some follow up afterwards. So not catching the baby or anything like that. This is all just like really sort of support around the actual birth and then kind of the logistics of what's like to, you know, have a new baby and, mm. you know, navigating that, the sleeplessness and the tasks around the house and just normalizing that for people. I think that's probably the biggest thing is just normalizing um, support and normalizing understanding. I think a doula really understands the process of pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum adjustment. So they're, you know, sort of part of the village that we all should have when we have. Yeah. 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 And it, in, and I would say, so we've had some questions from members of our, of the quiet connection support group who have talked about like, well, what are resources for people like me who like don't have family in this state or are estranged from family Mm -hmm. or, what have you. And it sounds like a doula would be a really, really nice resource to have to just sort of like guide you through that journey into parenthood. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we often don't have grandmas and others that can kind of help us navigate that. It is expensive. So that's the challenge is you it's financially. I was just going to ask. It can be financially I mean, it's money well spent. Absolutely. I mean, I always, the other thing, you know, that you, people will balk a little bit about paying for is lactation support. Mm. That is all, I mean, that's really, it's money well spent. However, not everybody can afford that. Um, right. There is a move afoot to have Medicaid cover doula services. And that Ooh. would be huge. That would be that, huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know that some insurance companies cover lactation support. Mm-hmm. 
but that's a whole other can of worms that we could do a whole other podcast about is is insurance and oh, yeah. and pre and postpartum care and <laughs> and all of yeah. that. Oh my goodness. I like I was very very fortunate to be on a very good insurance plan. Ironically, my husband works for UVM. Mm-hmm. Um so we have we have great insurance through UVM and the, through the medical center. So I had resources available to me, but there are a lot of families that don't have these resources available to them. And I just thinking how hard it was for me to find resources when when they're not even like I had a nurse from my insurance company calling me every couple of weeks to check in. And I still didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. So like, so just thinking about the families that that don't have that and don't know about the resources in general, like what a what a tricky spot to be in. Mm-hmm. So I heard you mention when we were talking a little bit earlier about like in terms of more mental health professional based services, it would be like an outpatient sort of program. And I do know I know of one outpatient program that's specific to perinatal care, but it's not in Vermont. Correct me if I'm wrong. There, I don't think there are any specific no. to peri- no in Vermont. And then we'll get on this topic, but it's much bigger. Inpatient specific to perinatal, there are only two in the country or three. But in terms of outpatient care, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you ever have to refer? up a, a person to to an outpatient program and like sort of have to think about how that's going to benefit them specific to their needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I a number of times I've had I've referred people to the intensive outpatient and it's just not the it's not um it's not perfect for that situation when you have a you know an infant and perhaps if the person is breastfeeding it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that we just don't have enough clients to make that sort of a thing feasible right yet. I think, you know, as the over time as I do this, I think I would say I know more clients that would have benefited from something like that 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 I maybe not have wouldn't have noticed in my earlier when I was doing this. Um, and I, I know that. Sarah Guth has referred a few people down to the program. I think it's an intensive outpatient program in Rhode Island. I believe, yes, I think it's Rhode Island. Yeah. And they have a unique program that I think I talked to them too. They actually use their Ronald McDonald house. Yes. To um, support the parents to maybe have the baby nearby. That's the challenge is is, um, how do you support a family? in a setting like that. So it would be so much better to have something like that in um, Vermont that, you know, family and baby could be nearby. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that's the other piece is you need, the baby really needs to be part of the therapy essentially mm-hmm. because you're getting, you're, you know, you're already disconnected if you're really feeling that bad and to be for the baby to be part of it. So, you know, that's a, I would say a long-term dream that we would have something like that. That we could stand up for, you know, we got moms at a time that we needed. You just, you just need somebody who like is really gung ho and can gather funding and get this whole thing together. Yeah, that would. I know. I said, I said my, I, I said it in season one, but my, my like home run out of the park 
like dream beyond dream if I could do it would be to start some sort of nonprofit or or something so that there was a program mm-hmm. inpatient and outpatient where that was specific to perinatal mood disorders and postpartum mood disorders where you can either come and do outpatient therapy or if if inpatient therapy is what you needed it would be the same thing mm-hmm. but baby would be included in the process because yeah. I think one of the hardest things for me when I um so I was hospitalized three times but being away from baby and learning that baby was a trigger made recovery pretty difficult mm-hmm. um, because I would come home from the hospitalizations after being away for weeks at a time and I I would get like physically sick holding her. And it's not because I didn't love her and it's like I didn't want to feel that way, but I'd been disconnected from her and she was a trigger. So I'm thinking like classes where baby is involved, like learn how to bathe your baby safely because a lot of moms are afraid that's really anxiety provoking mm-hmm. or like simple easy ways to encourage bonding with baby mm-hmm. as well as group therapy and individual therapy and like so this this is that's my like mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure you have visions of what's your what's your vision if you could envision the perfect scenario for mothers suffering from postpartum mental health disorders what would that look like for you hmm I've always, thought, I've always thought that the postpartum unit should be a spa, actually. That was, right? It's <laughs> like, not everybody coming in and interrupting you every five seconds. Yes. Um, yeah, so it should be a spa when you summon everybody to help you. But anyway, so <laughs> going, going off of that, to be, you know, to have access to group therapy, individual therapy, medication management, and your baby. So, you know, maybe something like, there'd be someone taking care of the baby. Um, and I don't know what that would look like overnight. Even the inpatient programs, I don't think have like overnight baby. Um, no. Yeah. And I, and I had thought about that too, but I know that there are, there's overnight childcare. There is such a thing as overnight childcare. So I think if you're a facility doing that, then you would just have a section of your facility right. doing overnight childcare. Yeah. Um, you know, because you, you see, even when, postpartum people are admitted for a medical reason when they are postpartum, that's a challenge to have the baby near them. I mean, yeah. what do you do with that? It's the mom that's a patient. You have to have a grown-up that's taking care of the baby. So that can that can happen. Um, so there's got to be staff that can support that because not all families are lucky enough to have be able, you know, to have a family member be able to like drop everything and support the care. So I think that would be ideal would be child, some sort of baby child care along with so that the baby is ready, readily accessible for therapy, you know, therapeutic connections. And, um, you know, if the mom is breastfeeding um, or not, even, I mean, it doesn't even have to be breastfeeding, it can be, you know, just connecting, connecting up and feeding the baby regularly. I think that would be a really good, just to have all, all services in one place. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting. It's one of those things that I think if there was something like that, more people would use it. That okay. So right. that was going to be my next comment. Yeah. So like when you were saying that you there aren't like enough, I don't like to use the word patient, but it, almost like yeah. not enough people for the services. Right. In doing my research, um, and again, research is research, and it's always going to be sort of biased a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. 
I'm learning that a large number of birthing people are going undiagnosed because they're not reporting it mm -hmm. because of the sense of guilt and shame. Yep. So I take my baby away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think if there was less of a stigma and there was a resource like like you're talking about, I feel like more people would be willing to say, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I need help. Um, because I think right now the vision is, well, it's not, it's not just the, the reality is if you are suffering to an extent that would require like medical intervention, you're calling a hotline. They're referring you to the ER. The ER is referring you to a mental health facility mm -hmm. and you don't know what's going to happen from there. I had a guest in season one express exactly what you said. She was like, I didn't want to say something because if I said the wrong thing, were they going to take my baby away? Uh, and and that that's the fear. Like if you don't have a good support system at home or if you if you're a single parent, you're like, well, what happens to my baby? Yeah. So I think it would be alarming, but not surprising the amount of people who would start reporting um, that they were suffering through this if the resources were more readily available and and accessible. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really a question. <laughs> it was a, it was a, no, it's sort of like if you build it, they'll come. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that like, and I think what's what's tricky for me, and I can only imagine for someone like you who's working in the field, like this is what you do. And so you're obviously very passionate about it. I'm a special educator. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. So it's hard for me to see how I can make an impact in that in that world. But I want to so desperately. I want to like collect these people so that we can create this. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm starting small with helping people tell their stories mm -hmm. so that at least people listening don't have to feel so alone and ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I know from experience, so I I did the partial hospitalization program and subsequently the um intensive outpatient treatment at Seneca, which is through UVM. And I've connected with my therapist since, my therapist that I had while I was there, and they have had training specific to postpartum mental health disorders since mm -hmm. my discharge. Like she reached back out to me and she said that they were so impacted that they they scheduled a training. So like that's a step in the right direction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so hopeful. I'm so hopeful from the sounds of it from what you were talking about earlier in the episode, that this is going to be a more widely mm -hmm. recognized issue and that hopefully doctors and midwives are, are making referrals to people like you because that's how it works, right? You, you work through a referral system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that it's just going to be monitored better. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that the screening is improving. But it also the piece that has to also happen is just the stigma piece because you're you're right like you were describing you go to your six week checkup am I going to be honest today or yeah you know, do I want to 
Is, are they going to take my baby away? Do they, you know, they want, they're going to think I'm a bad mom or, um, and I don't think we have captured the screening. There's not a really good way to measure it all over the place um, in Vermont. I don't think we've captured that, but I think that it's happening. And I think that's really helpful for people knowing that it's a regular process that they, and they know where to call. I, I know from just working at UVM Medical Center, we have people who have their babies and they sort of go off and, and they'll, they'll reach out at three months if they're struggling, you know, if they feel like, oh, wow, this is, I'm not doing well, mm-hmm. which I don't know as people did that before. They, they are readily calling back because that's kind of a, that's actually kind of a tricky time for many people. They sort of, they're in the thick of it for the first few you know months, just trying to get their sleep and stuff. And then it's sort of by three months, they're like, oh, wow, I'm not doing good here. Yeah. Um, um, so people are reaching out. Um, he, the other thing that happens is when you see some of the tragedies that have happened around the U.S., yeah, that inspires a lot of people to reach out because they are so scared that they're going to do something like that when it's they're not. They're absolutely not. But yeah, it's, okay, it's come talk to us. Let me let me talk to you about that. Because, yeah, th- that was huge. I had so many referrals after those incidences that were in the public. Yeah, I think because they get the media coverage, mm-hmm. um, it it can go one of two ways too. I'm glad that you're seeing more people reaching out. I think it can also scare a lot of moms to be like, Oh my God, am I capable of that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe retreat further in, but it gives me hope to hear that you, you were getting more people reaching out after, after that. Um, I haven't talked about it specifically on the podcast. It's something that I want to talk about because, um, and I'm referring to like postpartum psychosis Mm -hmm. because again, I'm sure you can speak to this more, but like it is the more rare Mm -hmm. of the postpartum mental health disorders and you can get help. Oh, absolutely. It's not, you're not forever changed. You're not, you're not a crazy person. and you're not to blame for, for what's going on and you can get better. Yeah. No, the prognosis is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's like the poster child. I mean, that's what they say at PSI. It's the poster child for the postpartum depression. Um, and it gets so much attention when it's really the most infrequent people struggle more so with other aspects of, yeah. you know, of emotional complications and not psychosis. But And even if, and even if you are, even if you are diagnosed with postpartum psychosis or you are experiencing that, mm-hmm. the, the shame and the guilt and the fear, hopefully hearing you talk about this and hearing you say this, like, will help inspire the, that person to reach out or those people to reach out. Because it just like any other mental health disorder, it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's and you can get better. Like, just like any other, just like anything else, just like postpartum depression, just like postpartum anxiety, the whole alphabet. I was telling someone the other day, I have a whole list of P's attached to me now. I've got <laughs> PPTSD, PPD, PPOCD, like all the P's. Mm-hmm. But um, but the stigma is there. And, and psychosis, I think, is a scary one because it gets covered in the media. Mm-hmm. So hopefully hearing you talk about it, talk about it in this way a little bit can, can help people understand it's not as common as the media may have you think. It's also not as, 
it's it's not always as devastating an outcome as the media would have you think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in my research, most people did not act on the impulses that they had when they were diagnosed with psychosis. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, there's there's treatment. So to that end, you you do a lot of medication management, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Yes. I get how has that sort of changed since you started? I will will def I definitely want to talk about two things in particular within the last couple of years the FDA approved a hormone infusion Zolresso or Brexanolone and then just barely um they approved a pill which now of course I should have wrote, written down what it was called cuz I forgot what it was called it's Zoranolone Zoranolone yeah that's the generic name and it's um Zur- Zuve they like their Z's apparently. Z U R S U V. Is that right? Maybe I spelled it wrong. A E. Zersuve, yeah, I think. Yeah, they like theirs. It's like Zolresso, Zersuve. Yeah, yeah it's whatever it is. But how have you sort of seen medication management evolve over time since you started? So what I would I would say, and this I think this hap- is happening in psychiatry overall, is we're getting a lot of new medications that, so there's a little bit more what I would, I guess I would call polypharmacy. So you add a little bit of something to one medicine to make it work a little bit better or target another neurotransmitter that the one you're giving doesn't, doesn't target. So I see that a little more over time. It may be, may well be that, you know, I, I was a nurse midwife to be, to begin with. Now you nurse midwives don't, they're like, you know, natural crunchy people. <laughs> no, don't take any medicines if you don't have to, you know, so yeah. <laughs> here I am prescribing medicines. Um, so it, it may very well be that I'm also just seeing more, uh, you know, more and more complicated mental health stuff. So I am seeing a lot more medicines and just getting a little bit more comfortable with using something that's a little stronger, quicker when I, you know, I can see that something's going south quicker. But that I think that's overall probably in psychiatry is is this a little bit of tinkering with things. But then you have the issue of pregnancy and in lactation that you have to like we don't what are, what medicines do we know about? And even if we know about a medicine, what happens if you combine it with this? Right. And then you've got to factor in how severe is the mental health symptoms and you know what that impact will be on mom or baby, and so putting those all all those things together. But definitely, I think that I'm a lot quicker to be maybe aggressive with um, maybe insomnia mm. um, because that can undermine a lot of stuff, and and quicker to augment with you know use augmentation strategies with another medicine to um, improve the, the effectiveness of the one people are on. So, and I think over time, as we they're they're gathering more and more data of these medicines and pregnancy. Of course, we don't have the good studies that you like to have for for all kinds of things, you don't, it's more observation and billing and billing data and like diagnostic data, but it's like reams of it. I mean, like just thousands, yeah. thousands and thousands of people. And then you complement it with like how much is in the breast milk and, you know, you know, how do babies do at transition at birth and stuff. So you have to put all these things together. And I would imagine that that's complicated too, because you can't really do 
case studies on <laughs> it's not like you're going to be like but let's take a bunch of pregnant people and try this medicine on them mm-hmm. right or you know we have two two groups and this person these people can't take their medicine during pregnancy and these people can so you know then yeah oh it's just yeah it's it's really hard to do i mean there's arguments that that, that should be done because it should be that that should be the data that we collect and we should study this in pregnant people. And, and actually a lot of, a lot of medicines are not really studied well in, in females to begin. Mm. Yeah. So there's a uh-oh. whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, in terms of these two new, what are being hailed as like breakthrough um, treatments in the postpartum mental health world, Zilreso came first. I, received Zilreso. It's a infusion over the course of three days. And it's a it's like a hormone infusion. I don't know the science behind the whole thing. I just remember being told um, this was while I was inpatient in North Carolina at one of the very, very few only inpatient perinatal uh, mood disorder programs. But I, I remember being told over and over again, Chelsea, it's either going to work or it's not. You're either going to see a benefit from it or you're not. And that's unfortunate. Most people see benefit from it. I did not. (laughs) And I don't knock it by any stretch of the imagination um, because I researched this before I was even inpatient and I researched it after. And there have been so many success stories. Mm -hmm. It did not work for me. But I'm curious what your thoughts are initially on Zolresso, and then we can get into yeah. we can get into the new one. Well, um, Rexanolone came out. The Zolresso came out in like 2019. I think it was approved. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a while for it to be, you know, covered. That you know, the uptake was pretty slim. It still is. There's not many places you can get it. I mean, it's um, no, you can't get it in Vermont. Right. Actually, I think we tried Sarah Guth. They tried with pharmacy to get it, but it, the, it was the price. It was it's really expensive. Um, and then also it needs to be done inpatient, which yep. that, was, that was another piece of it. So they did not take it up. I think the kind of the, the, when the things that it works for are kind of narrow, you know, the criteria that they use is develop depression symptoms in the last few weeks of pregnancy into maybe six weeks or something. It's um six months postpartum. Six months. So if you're yeah, if you're beyond six months, then you don't qualify for it yeah. anymore. And then also maybe could administer it at six months, but you have to have had the symptoms for you know yeah. a amount of time. Yeah. Oh, and it was it was a huge it was a big back and forth to get it approved by my insurance company. Yes. Yes. So and the way it I'm not, I don't even think they really understand the way it works. It is a you know, one of the hormones that you have in pregnancy is progesterone, which is like huge. And then at birth, it, you know, plummets. Yeah. Um, and this is a metabolite. So it's a, you know, it's like a, you break down progesterone into this other, other hormonal. And it's also a hormone that's active in the, in the brain. And I think that, that neuros, it's called a neurosteroid. It's hot again, also high levels during pregnancy and then cross postpartum, you know, and over the years, it's always been there's always been some thoughts about this has got it. This is hormonally mediated this because it, you know, because of this big transition in, um, in the hormones that, it, and then, then it precipitates this post, you know, it was always kind of in the past, it was always postpartum depression. So there's been many attempts to let's administer estrogen, let's administer progesterone. Let's, 
Um, there's been many attempts, but this is like a little further, more finessed um, way of um, administering sort of a hormonal aspect. So, but the, you know, it's very expensive. I think it's a really narrow population of people that it would be appropriate for. The other thing is, you you know, like your story is you were in the hospital, right? So you had to be mm-hmm. in the hospital. So, I mean, granted, if you're feeling that ill, that's a place to be, but that means away from family. And of course, since you don't have it in Vermont, you know, you're down in North Carolina. Um, yeah. That's huge. That's huge. The piece of it um, separating you from, and of course, probably, I don't know what the breastfeeding, I don't think you can, they haven't decided that it's breastfeeding is safe. I think that was the rule is you could not lactate. You could not give the baby your breast milk. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I wasn't breastfeeding. So yeah. So that would further complicate because I mean, for some people that breastfeeding is, is a a kind of the breaking, you know, the decision point of whether or not they'll take medicine. So um, separation in the hospital, what's the other sedation? So even if the baby oh, yes. was with the person, that's, you know, you know, the worry about co-sleeping with the baby or the sedative properties of it. So yeah, I, it's still, I think I was just on a, a big grand rounds. They just, they just started doing it in California. I mean, all these years later. So yeah. But the advantage is if it works, I think it works quickly. Um, yes. And I'm not sure that I don't think they have a good sense of how long it might last, even if it does work quickly. So I think because it's still new-ish, mm-hmm. ish, 2019 yeah. feels like a long time ago, but we've been in pandemic land. So it was also explained to me that like, if it is going to work for you, you'll know pretty immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and from, from the stories that I've heard, birthing people are, are, are expressing it like a light switch sort of moment. Yeah. But I, you're, I don't know the long-term effects of right. it. I don't know. I don't know how long. That'll take time. Yeah. Yeah. Have you talked um, to people on your podcast that have used it? No, because mm-hmm. most, if not all of my guests have been from New England. Mm-hmm. And there's nowhere here to get it. Yeah. Um, my support network was huge. And the fact that I had access to the perinatal program, uh, inpatient program at North Carolina, UNC, that's it, that's not normal. Like that's not it's not it's not something that that every birthing person is just like, well, I'm just gonna drop everything and go to North Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. my situation was pretty dire and and we were able to do it, but I would be so interested to talk to someone else who has who has gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, my my frame of reference is just reading blogs or sure. articles or um, social media posts of of people who have done it. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding is that more. I mean, maybe these are just the stories that are being reported, Mm -hmm. but they're saying like, oh my God, it was night and day. Mm -hmm. It was, it saved my life. Yeah. I went on to be hospitalized again after, Mm -hmm. but I still don't have, I don't have a negative view on it. I'm just skeptical. Yeah. That's the way with a lot of medicines. I mean, you know, people are just variably responsive to medicines. So Prozac could be perfect for one person and not so good for another person. And even hormonal yeah. things, and I, you know, I don't know physiologically and just biochemically the whole 
I don't understand the Brexanolone that that well, but I know that female people can be variably sensitive to hormones. I mean, some people have PMS, some people don't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I put in the days when I used to prescribe contraceptives, you put you know ten people on the same contraceptives. Some feel better, worse. PMS better, worse. Acne better, worse. You know, bleeding. Yeah. Hip- so it's, it's so just even that aspect of hormones and any medicines really can be highly variable in how you respond to it. So I think it may be an advertising thing that mm. it's like, oh, this magic and it gets in the public eye and it just seems like the magic pill. And it's not, it's probably perfect for certain people, but, and over time we won't know for sure until we, we get a lot more experience. Yeah. So that kind of brings us seamlessly to to this new pill, mm-hmm. because in terms of access, that's something you can take at home. It's still so brand new that I don't even know. I haven't found out how easy it's going to be to access in terms of insurance coverage and costs right. and things like that. But it is more than Zolresso. Like Zolresso, I had to dig for. I like I. It wasn't something that I just came across. This like came across Apple News. Mm -hmm. Like it was like right there. So it's being put out there. It's being talked about. My concerns, I guess, about it are that, yeah, people are going to be like, it's a miracle drug. I need this. This is what I need and it'll fix me. Mm -hmm. And that might be true. That might be true. But no one medicine works for everyone. Yeah. And this is so brand new. Like it, it, even more than with Zolresso, we don't know what the long-term effects are. We don't even know what the long-term side effects are. They don't even know what the long-term side effects are for Zolresso. <laughs> if five years from now I'm growing an extra toe or something, I'll be like... <laughs> but I don't know. I'm sure you know, or I, I, you may know more than I do about it. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a guesstimate that it might be available in October. But then what has to happen is also then they have to determine, they don't know the price yet. And then the Mm. insurance have to say, "Hmm, yes, no, we're not going to cover this. It's, it again is a very tight descriptive, like tight, you know, you need to, the symptoms need to develop, the depression symptoms need to develop in the last few weeks of pregnancy. And, and it actually, so the diagnosis of postpartum depression even though we know this is not the real, I mean, if you're diagnosing it is the first, the last few weeks of pregnancy and up to four weeks postpartum. So we know that's not really how it goes, but that's like the criteria. Um, So they use those criteria when they were studying the drug. So yeah, so that's, you know, the criteria are tight um, as to who would benefit from it. I think they studied like 350 people. Um, That's such a small, that's such a small group of people. And once again, the, the benefit was statistically significant, but what does that mean? I couldn't even, I was trying to read the, you know, read the package yeah. and like, what does that mean? Statistically, was it like five more people got better that, you know, right. cause I'm not a statistician or really good research and stuff, but it's obviously something that's going to help some people. The, the key, the thing that I'm wondering about, they did no studies on lactation. So, um, that's two weeks of not. We probably wouldn't recommend that you give your baby your breast milk during two weeks. Mm -hmm. Sedation was a significant factor. So once again, even though you're at home in the thick of things, like, you know, we were thinking about like, what about the postpartum mom that has a toddler at home? 
and a new baby. So you still have to have that support. You know, you still have got to have your family there because of the sedation. You, you, there, I think there's a recommendation against driving and you need, you still need that village. So that's actually my worry is that, that people will get the medicine and they won't get the village to go with it. Um, well, and that's the key piece, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. yeah. you need that village. Yep. Yep. And is it, yeah. is it the village that helps? Uh, that's, that's, right. always my, that's always my wonder is like, hmm. Because even when they, you know, when they did the studies for Brexanolone, they did them, I think in Boston, we had maybe, the company was reaching out to all of us who were perinatal people. Like, if, do you have anybody that can, that can come down to Boston and be in part of this study? So what they did was they brought people down to be in the hospital for those days. And then they would put the family up in a hotel and mm. the baby would be cared for. So there was all this other extra support. So that was one of my worries once this really became, you know, available to everybody is like, did it, does it come with all the support that they got when they studied it? Right. Um, Yeah. So that's my worry with the pill is that, oh, sure, you're at home. This will keep you at home. But you, you know, the sedation piece. And of course, we always worry about, you know, co-sleeping with babies. And if, you know, if you have a person that's feeling sedated, it's not good to be falling asleep with the baby in your arms and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it remains to be seen. We don't know about the breastfeeding piece. Um, again, can that could be a deal breaker for people. It also, apparently, if it works, it works quickly. Yeah, it's not something that you take long term. It's like a, it's kind of like a, like I was thinking about like a Z-Pack or something. When you, mm-hmm. when you get one of those, you take it for like two weeks or something. Yeah, um, and then the effects are supposed to last beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I don't but. think they studied it out real far, but um, the study that they have. Yeah. So that's, you know, we'll see. I'm just afraid it's going to be used wrong, you know, yeah, <laughs> the wrong clientele. But it's uh, it may be a magic thing for some people. And that's good. I think. Yeah, I think that's it's definitely how I feel about it. Um, and when I read about it, I, my, my mother-in-law sent me the article and she's like, look at this. This is so great. And my initial reaction was not that. It wasn't, oh my gosh, that's so great. It was, okay, it's a step. Mm-hmm. It, it's a step in the right direction because I may be wrong, but like postpartum depression, it's not even in the DSM. It is, it's that it is, but it's a very short, I mean, no, it's a, it's, a, um, it's under an umbrella, right? Yes. It's like a qualifier for depression. It's like, right. you, I mean, it can be with a postpartum onset or something like that. So it doesn't have its own thing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, so my thoughts were like, okay, it's a step. It, we're being recognized. We're being recognized in the world of, world of pharmaceuticals, which mm-hmm. in and of itself is a, is a scary world. Um, and complicated. I think that having the treatments available shows that there's at least an interest in this and and an investment in this, but it's not a one size fits all, just like anything else. It's another tool in the arsenal, I think. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like that kind of takes us full circle a little bit and back to where you started and where you are now. What are your hopes for the future of postpartum mental health care? Um, I I think we just, as a society or a country or a state, we need to do everything we can to support families. Um, I think we've extended Medicaid 
which I mean is important for some people for the first year postpartum, which is huge. I think people need more time off to support Mm -hmm. families need more time off. I think everybody needs a doula. (laughs) (laughs) I got that impression. Funny enough. (laughs) And I just think our society has to just support families a little bit more in this, in this transition to new babies. I think that's huge. And then of course, more providers. I I would like to see more providers. Um, that would be that would be huge. More people who are skilled in this topic, and because it's so hard to find things, therapy programs. Um, so just more more people who know who understand this topic and um, can work within it. I think that's I think that's the perfect answer, really, because we can't do the work without the people. Community, we need a community. Yes, yes. Well, Sandy, thank you so much. I truly value all your insight and the work that you're doing here in Vermont. And hopefully, hopefully you continue doing what you do because you're helping a lot of birthing people and we appreciate you. Thank you. Maybe you <laughs> and I will meet somewhere in the planning process for the outpatient. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be so cool? We can, this is networking. It's networking. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Okay, you take care. Thank you again to Sandy for sharing her insight and expertise with us. I'm crossing my fingers that we start to see some of the changes in aftercare for birthing people sooner rather than later. If you want to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can support our community by writing a review on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes on your social media. You could also consider becoming a Patreon member and gain access to things like bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and monthly goodies in the mail. If you'd like to share your personal journey, you can reach us through our website, quietconnectionpodcast.com, or by email at quietconnectionppmh at gmail.com. Join us next time where another story is told and you realize you are not alone. I see you.